Welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it, and she is here to help. Most people expect us to be like unicorns. We're supposed to do everything magically without resources, without overhead. Um, and I think it's it's ridiculous. And if that's the case, well, we might as well use the unicorn as our mascot for for the sector. Yeah, Game of Thrones is great. It's you know I, I say it's our sector is a lot like Game of Thrones, except there's less frontal nudity. Hi, I'm Joan Gary, and uh, my guest today is Vu Lee. Vu is a writer, speaker, vegan, Pisces, and the executive director of Rainier Valley Corps. This Seattle-based nonprofit is all about developing and supporting leaders of color in the nonprofit space, strengthening organizations led by people of color, and bringing diverse communities together to affect systemic change. He is also the author of the humor blog nonprofitswithballs.com that in the last several years has totally taken off, and frankly, I'm getting a little sick and tired of people forwarding me his posts. Vu, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, time to start with the most obvious question. It's a two-parter. What motivated you to start a blog? You already have a full-time job as an executive director. And then the question that's on everybody's mind. What's with the name of your blog, Nonprofits with Balls? Yeah, I started the blog about three or four years ago. Uh, Social Venture Partners in Seattle asked me to... uh, to provide a perspective from a grantee's point of view. And I thought, you know, we don't really have enough humor in the nonprofit sector. All the writing that I've seen has been really serious. There's a lot of serious stuff going on. And I thought, why not add something a little more lighthearted? So I started writing. And originally, I it only had about eight readers. Four of them were staff that I had mandated to read my <laughs> blog. <laughs> And I think it kind of started to resonate with readers that, yeah, you know, our work is really serious, but we don't need to take ourselves all that serious all the time. Um, so I, I kept writing and um, and I think people started to um, to respond to that. The name, Nonprofit Balls, I, it refers to the balls that we juggle, but I think it's actually, it's more, it's, it's, it's a little bit deeper than that. And it started with this one guy who came to my organization at the time, I was with an organization called the Vietnamese Friendship Association. And uh, this guy came and he had started a new nonprofit or he had signed on to be the, the CEO of a new nonprofit. And they were trying to do uh, some education, equity work. Came to my organization and said, hey, Vu, can you do a focus group with 20 or 30 of your clients for us? And we need to listen to the voices of communities of color. And we hear that you're, you're good at community engagement. And I said, I'm sorry, I have, I have basically three full-time staff. I don't have time to rally 20 people for you to listen to. Good that and you said really- no. <laughs> I said no, yeah. <laughs> we, we need to say no more often. No kidding. You know, we, we sign up to things all the time because it's good for our, our communities. And I, I think we need to kind of be more strategic. Anyway, so I told him no. And I said, look, if you really want to do community engagement right, you need to fund the organizations and the people to actually be involved in your surveys and focus groups because communities are getting really tired of being asked to do stuff for free. And he said, he got really offended. And he said, Hmm. you want me to go back to my funders and tell them that Vu is not going to play ball unless we throw money at him. And 
I said, you know, we have plenty of balls. We have balls in our faces all the time from, from the city, from the school district, uh, from the county. We don't, we don't need your balls. We don't, have, we don't have time to juggle your balls for you. <laughs> so <laughs> I, so that's, that's really the true story about how Nonprofit Balls got its name. But doesn't uh, it, but there's a, there's a double entendre too, to it, isn't there? Yeah, there is a little bit. And and again, when I started the blog, I, I did not think that more than eight people would be reading it. It was really more for my close circle of executive directors who are we go out drinking all the time. And it's really meant as kind of a therapy for, for other um, people in, in the sector. So if I realized there'll be more than like 12 people reading it, I probably would have thought about calling it something else but then again you know i think again we we take ourselves really seriously and i haven't really i've been thinking a little bit more about this and i haven't really formulated all my thoughts but balls i mean we use drop the ball and that's okay we use juggling balls that's okay but to have balls Mm -hmm. automatically means that it is a sexist you know so i I, you know we, we take our thoughts and we overlay them and then we we basically we change the meanings of words to fit what we're trying to say. So I don't know. Maybe we need time time for us to reclaim balls as a neutral um, term that just means I don't know, edginess or courage. Or- well, yeah, I guess that's the that was the thing I was wondering about is when I think about the phrase um, and I separate and apart from the the potential sexist nature of it. I think about. Um, What's the Spanish word? Cajones, right? Is mm-hmm. was part of the idea of this that nonprofit leaders, even though they're in the business of changing the world, don't often take a strong enough stance on things and stand up for themselves? Was there any a part of that as you think about the work that you do and what you write about? I do feel that we as a sector do need to be more assertive. And- I think that we we tend to attract people who are really smart and who are really humble and who care about the community. Um, and I think those are the same kind of people who are who tend to be more thoughtful and on occasion, you know, they tend to let other people uh, be louder simply because we we are more, I think in general we're we're nicer as a sector. <laughs> right. But I, I also think that we need to to be more assertive because we get we do get pushed around. We get how, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. how so? Give me, can you give me an example of how people in the nonprofit sector get pushed around? Well, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about the overhead myth for a long time. And totally. I'm thinking it's starting to die off. And then I get another new story about someone getting angry about an, a nonprofit that spent more than 8% on overhead. Um, or you read the comments. And they are just, just horrible. Just how... You know, just how misconceived uh, or misperceived we our sector can be. People getting angry at us be- because we spent more than five or ten or twenty percent on things that are completely useless, such as staff and rent <laughs> and insurance <laughs> and electricity. Yeah, it's I, ridiculous. I have a, um, I had a client once where um, they almost went out of business because they had restricted funding to do the work, but they actually couldn't pay the rent. <laughs> I spent about three hours last week just trying to figure out because this one foundation wanted to know how much of every single line item their funding paid for. 
So, you know, our supplies was like, I don't know, a thousand, eight hundred bucks or so. And we need to figure out how much of their twenty thousand dollar went into that line item. I'm like, this this is madness. Well, the other place where it shows where it um rears its head is with um managing staff and holding them accountable, right? What do you mean? In other words, um leaders not necessarily having those round things um, in terms of holding staff accountable and firing them if necessary. Yeah, I think it does lead to a lot of challenges in, in, our, in our sector. Yeah. Um, we're constantly figuring out how to Frankenstein bits of funding together. We cannot be as strategic uh, in terms of the team members that we bring on board. And if it's so unstable... When everyone's salary is an amalgamation of like eight or 12 different sources, then yeah, we spend all that time trying to like put puzzle pieces together instead of thinking about the the, the team that we need and, and who should be on the bus and who should get off and or whatever the metaphor is. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how do you have time to write this blog? I, I was an ED of an organization. You're the ED of an organization. You have a live seen you do speaking gigs. As I see it, you have more balls than most to juggle. Uh, <laughs> how do you find time? I know how time consuming it is. It is really consuming. Each blog post probably takes me about eight hours to do because the first three or four hours, I'm just procrastinating and feeling terrible. <laughs> and that's part of my writing process. <laughs> I'm like, damn it, this is terrible. And then I drink a few sh- shots and then I sober up and then I continue <laughs> And then I watch a few Netflix episodes. Sure, a little I Game of Thrones I hear you like too. Yeah, Game of Thrones is great. It's, you know, I, I say it's our sector is a lot like Game of Thrones, except there's less frontal nudity. <laughs> um, so my... <laughs> Uh, it is pretty time consuming, but it also gives me a lot of energy. And I, and I think that is where people who say I don't have time really mean is that I don't have the energy for it. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So you don't have board members who say, hey, I really liked your most recent blog post, but um, how many people did you ask for money from this week, Vu? <laughs> well, I don't write my blog posts except on, on Sunday. So that's why they're, all, they're always published on Monday I at see. 2 a.m. So the board can't really use that. Um, and in addition, I think it's actually been very helpful. And I, I would really encourage most nonprofit leaders to think about writing more because I think writing is a big part of leadership. It's reflecting on the things that you're learning. Um, and the blog has been very helpful to my organization because now more people know about what I do on the few occasions that I can actually mention and I can publish the uh, just the lessons I've been learning on various different posts. And I think that actually helped to spread. I actually was able to meet a found a foundation who had never heard of the organization before, but right. someone who worked there donated to my, to my organization simply because he liked the blog. And because of that, I found out where he worked and I went and met, met with him and, you know, that would not have happened if I hadn't been writing the blog. So I yeah, think it's That's excellent. Helpful. Yes, I do think that – I think you're absolutely right about leaders writing more. Um, so I bet you get a lot of email from readers, don't you? I do. Yeah, really fun, great. right? Yeah. Could you have yeah. an example of something that um, – an email that you've gotten or the spirit of an email that you've gotten that really says, you know, this is really worthwhile. I'm really glad I do this. Yeah, I got an email from uh, an executive director who just recently got fired and uh, she just had a terrible, confusing time because from every other sources of information 
from her staff and volunteers and the clients that she was doing an amazing job. And she just, she was just let go. And she wrote me and said, and thanked me for writing the blog post I wrote about just the performance evaluation and how it's just done so wrong all the time by people who don't understand what we're trying to do, who don't set clear goals in the beginning and who, you know, ding you for not meeting expectations that were never clearly set. Right. And she was just very grateful that it, it helped her to kind of work through her feeling of confusion and guilt and sadness and grief over, you know, being fired from a job that she really loved and thought she was doing a good job at. Must give so, you a lot of um, sense of gratification about the, about the writing, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And yeah, it does. I think there's just really good people out there. And if the blog can help brighten someone's day, then I, I think it's worth the, the, the tequila shots that I need to take to write them. Well, if if it wasn't that, you'd figure out some other reason to have those shots. I'm pretty confident about that. Um, so um, an example of uh, of an email that you've gotten that uh, that was particularly funny or outrageous <laughs> you know, readers have been sending me a lot of unicorn stuff. <laughs> um, I get a lot. I've gotten probably at least like five rainbow butterfly unicorn kitty pictures, um, kitten, kitten pictures. And uh, it's just, it's a, it's a cat that is rainbow hued with butterfly wings and a unicorn horn. And for some reason, readers find that to be hilarious and they, they send it to me. And I, I get a kick out of it yeah. every time. The, um, the, now, fans of your blog definitely know that you have a fascination with unicorns. Can you, uh, can you talk a little bit about the, uh, the connection between your work and your blog and unicorns? <laughs> this might have come from one of my earlier blog posts when I was writing about, again, restrictive funding, when I met with this corporate sponsor representative and who said, oh, yeah, we, we love funding nonprofits. You should apply for a grant with our, our corporation. Um, and I said, well, yeah, what, what tips do you have for me? And he said, well, we don't like to fund staffing. We, we, we just hate paying for people's wages. And I thought, who do you think is going to like run this program? Like <laughs> unicorns and elves and, and like these magical creatures who just appear out of nowhere and just do things and don't have to get paid and don't have to be treated like professionals. Um, so I think that just kind of, taken off which is I think that most people expect us to be like unicorns we're supposed to do everything magically without resources without overhead um, and I think it's it's ridiculous and if that's the case well we might as well use the unicorn as our mascot for for the sector that's hilarious um, so uh, so you're very funny and your posts are very funny and you definitely I've seen you speak and you're you, you're hilarious but well, you thank you you're welcome um I actually find myself very admiring not just of the humor of your blog, but the work that you do in your organization. And I, uh, I, I, I wanted to talk for just a few minutes about your organization. And um, <clears throat> you wrote a post a while back with some startling statistics uh, that I know from my, my own experience. Uh, only 8% of board members are people of color. Nearly a third of nonprofit board members do not have a single board member of color. 7% of CEOs are people of color. And only 5% of philanthropic organizations are led by people of color. 
um, crazy. So you and I both know we've got boomers that are retiring. The leadership pipeline is not only is it not diverse, but it's also weak. So based on the work that you do at Rainier Valley Corps, what are some of the things that um, specific things that boards and organizations can do to tackle the issue of diversity? Well, thanks, Joan, for um, yeah, for those questions and those startling statistics. I think we've been so focused on the demands on uh, equality, I mean, um, diversity and inclusion. We're always thinking, well, how do we find these leaders of color to join our board or our fundraising team or our staff or something? And then we we don't realize that there are barriers to that. One is just like, what is the supply? And from those statistics, we know that there's there's not enough leaders of color and 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 the ones that are high profile they get asked all the time to join boards all the time and so i think we're not just beside besides the the demands on on leaders of color, we have to work on on the pipelines of leaders of color. we we have to increase the supply of people of color entering into the sector and staying there and the other issue is that we have um, we have some really great people in the sector who may not who are people of color who may not be getting the recognition and the support that they need in order to to really um, to really grow uh, professionally and to assume leadership position, we got to focus on those uh, leaders as well. And also, I think there's just there's a disconnect between how communities of color operate and the sector uh, itself. So examples would be the hiring process. I talk about we talk about equality and equity and all the time, but we always use this sort of equality lens and. Look at the hiring process. It's always whoever writes the best grant. I mean, whoever writes the best resume, right. whoever writes the best cover. And if you have a typo, you're automatically eliminated. Well, I, for example, I'm, I'm not born here. I was not born in the U.S. I came over from Vietnam. And so I still have typos in all my writing all the time. <laughs> and But the fact that I can speak, you know, three or four languages should make up for the fact that I have typos you know, so I think we have to kind of start rethinking some of the the ways that we go about defining what is a leader or what is a qualified person. I get a lot of my colleagues who are frustrated they can't get qualified people of color to apply, and and I ask them, well, you know, where did you do your outreach, and also what do you what is your definition of qualification? Well, they have to have a bachelor's degree. Well, why? Mm-hmm. Why do they have to have a bachelor's degree if they have twenty years of experience, maybe in another country? doing some amazing things. Why do they need to have a bachelor's uh, degree? So I think the way that we define things, the way the barriers that we set, sometimes we, we do them unconsciously. And, and then we wonder, you know, like look at the way that we ask, we, we, we say there's enough pe- not enough people of color on, on boards. Right. But then you go to a board meeting and it's Robert's rules. It is, you know, the, the hierarchy. It is not enough time for bonding and sharing of stories, which may be something that resonates with other people more. Correct. And then we wonder why these people don't come to, to the board meetings. Right. Um, so I think the, we have to kind of take away, take these assumptions and, and, and understand them and then start thinking about doing things differently. So it, it's not just, so it's not just about recruitment. It's also about redefining qualifications. Yeah. Redefining qualifications, redefining the rules that, and the barriers. Um, also, we, we really need to focus more funding on leadership development. Less than 1% of philanthropic dollars go into um, leadership and professional development. 
And I think people need to understand that basically 99% of the stuff that is done in our sector is done by people. So <laughs> Not unicorns. Not, not unicorns. <laughs> so, and if we are not investing in people, then we're not going to have the people that, that, we, that we want. And also people are leaving. In Seattle, a lot of my colleagues are leaving to become real estate agents for some reason. Like every month. <laughs> Someone okay. leaves to be a real estate agent. Okay, so my wife is a real estate agent. Don't hold it against her. But she oh, left. No. She left the television business to become a real estate agent. Fascinatingly <laughs> enough, um, I, I love our real estate agent. Yeah, I, I think real estate agents are awesome, as but, are pharmacists and doctors. Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking to Vu Lee, who is the executive director of uh, Rainier Valley Corps in Seattle, and also the author of the humor blog nonprofitswithballs.com. and. Um, Give me one success story from Rainier Valley Corps in 2015 that makes you feel that makes you feel really great that you're the executive director of that organization. Yeah, so Rainier Valley Corps, we find uh, emerging leaders of color who are just passionate, who really want to do amazing things in their communities. We provide them with a basically a full time job, and then we send them to work full time at these organizations that are led by communities of color, and then they help the organization develop their capacity, fundraising and all of that stuff, and then get everyone to work together to change laws and policies and, and all that. Um, so we've been around for one and a half years. Oh. And I had been working on this project for several years, though, and it, it has been a dream for a long time because I went through a similar cohort, a leadership model. I mean, that's how I got into this sector was that I, w- I went through one of these leadership programs that sent me to a nonprofit. And it was because I could not find a job anywhere else. And I really wanted to do something in, in the sector. And uh, only through this leadership program uh, was I able to stay in the sector. So we want to replicate that. So I've been thinking about this for a while. And finally, in September of 2015, we were able to launch our first cohort. And it took years of planning and fundraising and developing the curriculum and the evaluation model and getting all the volunteers in place, assembling my board and everything. And And finally... You know, they were there. There was a cohort of 10 leaders. That's great. And I was so nervous to meet them because I thought, I don't know what they're going to be like or who they, they would be or if they would be the right leaders that, we, that our communities really need. And I spent two days at their orientation retreat uh, with them. And it was like the most renewing experience ever because these are amazing, dedicated, passionate, diverse leaders who are laughing and joking and thinking about equity and they like each other and they're passionate about this work. And I think they're the kind of leaders that, that, we, that, are, that we need in this time and place. And, uh, and it was just really amazing just That's, to have, just to have, have It is that. amazing. Um, for those who don't know, where would we find you on the internet? And I'm also interested in your budget size and how many full-time staff you have there. Yeah, our budget is a little bit, a little less than a million. It'll probably grow to a million this year. Good for you. I have... Uh, five full-time staff, including me. And we have about 50 volunteers across eight different committees. And they're, they're amazing. They've been keeping us going. Um, RainierValleyCorps.org and also NonprofitWithBalls.com. Excellent. Again, we're talking with Vu Lee, the executive director of Rainier Valley Corps in Seattle and the author of the very funny NonprofitsWithBalls.com. One last question for you. Uh, You and I both get a lot of questions from our readers, and um, you just talked about 
leaders leaving to become real estate agents. Um, <laughs> and uh, probably one of the most, prom- sadly, one of the questions I get asked quite frequently is, you know, I've been in my job five, six years. I work all the time. Uh, my board gives me a hard time. Uh, my, my, my volunteers don't show up. I think I'm burned out. When will I know it's time to go? So your turn. Well, how would you answer that email if it came across your transom? Uh, yeah, this one is a, is a challenging question. Um, I would say one is that people really need to, we get, we have a lot of guilt in the sector and we have, you know, we, we, if we leave the organization, then all of our, maybe our community or our clients, my suffer organization, my collapse. And I, I think I think this comes from, you know, just a, a sense of integrity of, of making sure that everything is, because the work that we do is so important to so many people that we're trying to help. And uh, so I think that does lead to a sense of, of guilt and a sense of, you know, that, that we really need to be here. We're indispensable. And I feel like it's, we need to free ourselves of that, which is, I don't feel like, we are indispensable and I, you know, it's, it's easy to feel that way, but I, I, I think people should be absolved of the, absolved of the, the guilt and the sense of indispensability. So if you're, if you're going to leave, I think most likely your organization will be fine. Right. If you have a good board, they'll probably find someone else. I've seen this happen where people feel like organization will collapse when they leave. And after they leave, the organization is okay. And sometimes it's even stronger right. after the person leaves. Um, if you're feeling really burning out and you're dreading coming to work and it's no longer bringing you the sort of sense of joy and, and, and accomplishment that you get, then I think it's time to re-examine what it is that is, is either holding you there um, and holding you back. So maybe in some ways it's kind of like a, a relationship, you know? Yeah. And you got to figure out like, do, what, what are the, why are you staying? Are you staying because of the children? Are you staying because of, <laughs> what, what is it? Like, is, and is it good for the children that you're staying? Right. Um, and you have to ask yourself, like, do you want to make this work? Because some organizations and like some relationships, you know, it's, it's very challenging. But at the end, both parties have to realize, we have to answer this question, which is, do we want to make this work? Because if they do want to make it work, then they can go to counseling and then go to therapy. But if there is not, if the answer on either side is no, then there is no point for either party to to stay in that relationship. Well, that I, sounds way wiser than I actually. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I just write stuff. Yeah, no. On Sundays at two a.m. with shots. I got it. Um, <laughs> one of the things that I admire about how you write and how you think about uh, living in the nonprofit sector is exactly what you just talked about, which is the sense that you, the sense of joy that you bring, the sense of joy that you have about working in the sector and how often you work to remind your subscribers that joy is part of the equation, that actually to, um, to get paid however minimally that may be to make a difference in the world is a bit of a gift. And so um, I believe that that's why your blog is so successful and why it will continue to grow. And um, so I really just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing, both in your day job and on Sunday afternoons for eight hours, uh, because I really do think that you are 
uh, one of the few champions out there for the success of nonprofit leaders and uh, badly needed. Well, thank you so much, uh, Joan. I, I, I really appreciate your blog, too. I've been learning a lot from it. Well, good. Well. well, good. Well, I'm, uh, we'll let you go. This is, um, again, Vu Lee, the executive director of Rainier Valley Corps in Seattle, as well as the author of the very funny and also powerful blog called nonprofitswithballs.com. We're delighted to have had him on our podcast this afternoon. And please join us next time when we tackle the issue of I have to have a gala, there must be a special event, and how do I do it and do it well and do it right? We'll be joined by Jason Burlingame from Stamp Event here in New York, who has a lot of experience and some good practical advice. Join us next time. I'm Joan Gary, joangary.com. See you again. Nonprofits are messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the Nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.